Hello and welcome to episode one of the very first Scotland podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Benjamin Gubbs Cauldron, and here at Scotland, we're a network of people working in law, policy, and practice around innovation and technology. In previous years, we did what was called the Enlightening Talks, which involved members presenting their work and giving us insights into their exciting research and experience, so we could really delve into some fascinating topics and share our passion and expertise. We imagine this podcast as a continuation of that. We want our members to talk about their work and to facilitate a friendly discussion where ideas can be developed and critiqued. In theory, this will help with sharing insights and ideas across our different areas of interest and support interdisciplinary working methods and the sharing of best practice. So our first discussion will be around the topic of agile methods in law. We're going to be talking to an expert in the field, Katharina Bizet. Katharina is a barrister working with clients, including lots of business people in tech startups, and has written an excellent new book called The Agile Lawyer, based on her research in applying agile methods in law firms. She's also a prolific podcaster and has done over 120 episodes of her excellent show, Nerds of Law. I can't recommend it enough. Check it out on Spotify and all of the good podcast providers. So if you haven't heard of Agile Methods before, they're basically tools developed in the software industry to support innovative working methods in the context of projects where adaptability is essential to keep abreast of fast-changing regulatory environments where projects need to be relatively fluid and flexible to keep up with technological progress and intense competition from rival companies. It's uh, about communication, transparency and efficiency, as well as being squarely focused on the, the consumer experience. So Katharina has been working on the transferability of the Agile principles to legal practice so that lawyers can work effectively in the modern economy. And it should be really interesting to explore this cross-pollination of professional practices between the legal and tech industries. Uh, So without much further ado, I'd like to introduce our first guest on episode one of the Scotland podcast, Katharina Bizet. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's such an honor to be here as a, like, I'm not sure, I think the first, well, we're both not Scottish people, but at least I've got a Scottish last name, so that helps, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you've got one up only there. So um, tell us a bit about yourself uh, and, and your sort of origin story. Well, well, my origin story, I, I love to say I'm, I was first a nerd and then a lawyer. Um, so I've spent way too much time in my youth in front of the computer fiddling around with it um, but I always wanted to go to law school so specializing in like IT, IP, privacy you know all the techie legal fields was, was quite natural to me and you know I've done the university I've tried out a lot of things and I've spent many years in-house in big, uh, big tech companies and that's where the first time uh, I came across project management, the classical methods, agile methods, also because my my employer's customers wanted agile contracts, agile software development. So I needed to approach the whole thing from a from a legal perspective, how to write the contract. And I was like, I can't write the contract if I don't know what it is, what's going on. So and I've, I've always loved these things where I have a system in place to organize myself. So a lot of things I learned there, I first implemented um, in my own practice, in my own working life, like Kanban as, a, as one of the, the great tools 
that's come out of the, let's say, agile environment. Actually, Kanban was more developed in the automation auto car industry. So when I later on went back into becoming an attorney and I started my own law firm, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this now. And after taking the bar exam, I wanted to learn something else and going back and doing software development again, I was like, I wasn't going to be good enough to make it worthwhile. So I did a master's in business process engineering and management, which is okay. a lot of project management, a lot of process management and did um, agile working between attorney and client as my master thesis. And that's what became the book. Uh, so because I just thought, you know, if I'm going to live like that, if I'm going to work like that, if I'm going to want to make a product out of this for my clients, then I really want to know what I'm talking about. So this was a good opportunity for me really to get deep, deep into this. Um, well, yeah. what else I'm doing? I'm also active in the in Austrian Bar Association. There's an IT working group uh, where I can help colleagues, you know, get their digitalization on. And that's how Nerds of Law started okay. um, between me and my colleague where we just wanted to say, look, we wanted to take our profession to the next level kind of thing. Um, and I also have a little software uh, startup with three colleagues that we founded, which is Netsbeweis, which does uh, digital evidence preservation of websites. Also okay. out of my own need to automate everything that stands still long enough or stands still too long, actually. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you've been very busy and uh, you've you've also been podcasting on top of all that as well. So, um, yes. <laughs> So how, how did you get into podcasting? Because it, it does sound like you've had a, had a lot on setting up a law firm, doing a master's, writing a book. Uh, you've also uh, moved countries, haven't you? From, from Scotland yeah, yeah I moved to Scotland and back again. Um, gra grabbed Scotsman, moved back again. But um, <laughs> well, I've been podcasting much longer than all of that. I've been podcasting for about, I think, 15, 16 years now on various subjects. Yeah. I think my first podcast was on the TV show Heroes back when it was still good. Yeah, um, I remember heroes. <laughs> yeah, so so like really the, the, the nerdy fandom kind of podcasts for years and years with friends from the States and Australia and the UK. Oh, and fair enough. So it's been a while that I hadn't podcasted before we started Nerds. I really want to do a podcast again. Mm. And I was kind of missing it, chatting to people. And then I convinced Michael, I was like, let's, let's just get people on. And for me, Nerds of Law is an opportunity to not just talk to the innovative people in the legal field, but also others where we can learn a lot. Um, most of the Absolutely. most of the episodes are still in German, but we're doing more more English ones this year. Um, but like people who invented cool tools that we think um, is useful where we can learn something about time management and, you know, all yeah. these kind of um, things where what can we learn from other professions and this is where where the whole project management thing comes in as well so yeah. I've no i really i really like that sort of interdisciplinary uh, ethos uh, that you've got going on there and it's a mindset as well um i just feel like when when i was in-house the stuff that was normal for me to work with like sharepoints and document sharing and big in um knowledge databases that's what they called legal tech 
uh, yeah. a couple years later as if it was something new when other other businesses other professions have been working like that for years so that's why i think us as a legal profession i'm including all of them the justice system the universities the lawyers the notaries etc etc in that yeah. um can really learn from other industries and so many things that we um for us are almost like dogmatic or like oh no that's a dogma that we can touch that the other industries are like why would you even do that we, we could never offer that to our customers to our clients yeah so law yeah. does tend to be a very very old school uh that's absolutely right and in your podcast you do sort of challenge a lot of those those dogmas uh and and sort of um try and find innovative ways to to sort of um develop legal practice uh so that it is better suited to the sort of modern economy that that we're we're living in so yeah. um you you sort of in in terms of the book and in terms of your podcast you sort of start from the premise that um traditional legal practice and and management in the in the typical law firm uh needs needs to be improved right yeah, so always. is it fair to say that you've got a sort of fairly dim view of um sort of old school legal practice in in the big law firms it, it sounds right? it sounds like that but actually i'm a very very strong advocate for continuous improvement yeah so i think even those of us who are at the top of their game there's always something to improve on there's always something to challenge so i always think i can improve i always think everyone can improve but as a whole it depends on the time of the day and who i hang out with uh, it feels like every other podcast episode i say that the billable hour needs to be eradicated yeah uh, or sometimes five times um I think i've spent so much time in this like nerdy law bubble that i sometimes forget that the the masses of us out there is not that techie yet and then i'm sometimes surprised so it always seem it always depends on who you're working with who you're talking to i feel the nerdy law bubble is getting stronger is getting more vocal it's getting yeah. more out there and showing what can be done um, and that's also what helped me when i set up my business but no i'm not yet a negative person i've got my moments where i'm thinking like oh this is never gonna happen i'm never gonna change anything um but then there are colleagues who are like oh your podcast inspired me and i'm like yeah, okay I'll, I'll i'll give it another try so for me it's um i want to help the colleagues i want to help um the legal profession to move forward and i want to give it my best shot that's, yeah that's my i think um, that's a really good answer because i i mean uh, it does depend on the the type of clients that you have as a law firm uh, as well, doesn't it? Because if if you're working like you are in sort of the the uh, with tech startups and and people who are very familiar with the the agile methodologies, then things like value pricing and and uh, Caban and Scrum and and that sort of transparency and working collaboratively together might be much more appropriate. But I can imagine uh, sort of lawyers working in uh sort of small villages or whatever doing a lot lots of uh wills and uh, and things working with maybe more elderly clientele for for whom a sort of uh digital platform might be quite quite intimidating 
Yeah, um, but so also... it depends on context, doesn't it? Yes, but there's also two sides to that coin. There's the client-facing side and there's the side how you organize yourself and your team. Um, yeah. So even if I had a lot of clients that needed actual hand-holding and passing over of handkerchiefs and stuff like that, that doesn't mean I can have a camp on board to organize myself. Yeah. So it doesn't... They're not mutually exclusive. And I've heard a really great example because you said um, uh, doing wheels and stuff... Uh, there's the uh, American Lawyerist podcast. It's for like yeah. small uh, law firms. And I heard an episode there where an attorney who specialized in um, estate planning and working with a lot of elderly people actually implemented yeah. some like technical hearing aid system in her law firm that when ah, okay. they come to her, um, that that would help them hear her, understand her, read things like screens with big writing so that they can follow what's going on. So actually helping tech, making it more accessible. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. that's a side that often gets um, overlooked. But obviously, like if you're um, an attorney, if you're a criminal attorney and your clients are in prison and don't have access to any tech, um, then um, that's that's obviously a, a, a hindrance. I'm told. Yeah, and and that sort of flexibility is is sort of embedded in the agile principles, I guess, as well, isn't it? So yes. Um. I mean, should should we? Should we talk about the the agile method a bit? Because I'm not sure all of our listeners will be uh, familiar with with the agile methods. Um, so, are are they a project management tool? Is it a sort of business model? Is is it a, a sort of theory of practice? Could you? Well, I would I would actually start off saying that it's a it's a mindset. Um, it's like it's been developed in the like you like you correctly said in the software developing uh, development in, environment mm-hmm. and for those of you and i don't know if you can uh, link to it the the agile manifesto is out there which is kind of like the the guiding light the principles behind agile and I'll just I'll just read the the, the four lines just so you, our listeners can get an get yeah, an idea be great. it says individuals and interactions over processes and tools Working software over comprehensive documentation. Customer collaboration over contract negotiation. Responding to change over following a plan. And then they relativize that with saying, well, there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. So it doesn't mean there's no contract negotiation. It doesn't mean there's no plan. But it's just putting a much stronger value on the communication. And so within this agile environment, there are tools and methods and very precise ways to implement that. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of these things that is used uh, a lot, and I think for me is one of the most versatile, is Kanban, which is basically a board with a couple of columns where you move your tasks along. And the, the most basic one of that is to have to do in progress and done. So this is just like the most basic way of organizing your tasks. And you can do that for yourself. You can do that in a huge organization. Yeah, it's um, like a sophisticated to-do list, isn't it? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. But with a to-do list, you never have any like order in it. And mm. my to-do list of things that I want to do at some point is basically never ending. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. just having a list to check off would result in me having to go through the same things again no i'm not going to do this now and i'm not going to do this now until yeah. i end up with something i need to do 
So the to-do list has its place often within the task for me, um, but not as as a way to organize myself. So that for me yeah. is the one that I think is the most versatile. I organize my team with it. Uh, so I just chuck them a task in our common Kanban board. And then when they're done, they reassign it to me. Yeah. And at some point it's done, done. Yeah. And you, and you can prioritize different tasks. Can't you put them on a fast track? And if there's uh, a task that is sort of um, blocked off because you have to wait for a response from the court or whatever, you can put that in a separate column. So it's a it's a really sort of comprehensive um, way of organizing uh, a team's uh, resources. Uh, and it's a time management tool, essentially, isn't it? Yes. And also it makes everything more visible because, I mean, mm. we're not that big of a team so depending on how many how many trainees i've got um usually like four or five people um but everyone sees what everyone else is doing yeah so it's transparent yes and that's also what the client facing side is about so yeah. very often a client goes to an attorney puts in a request and then there's a big black attorney box and at the end pops out a 30 page statement and an invoice yeah there's very little in cost transparency, in work transparency, and hey, what's the status anyway? Mm. So, of course, if I've got a task facing my client that says, write terms and conditions, it might be five different tasks facing my team because, yeah, one needs to research that, one does the formatting, one maybe does the translation of some uh, some clauses, um, but the client always knows what the status of the different tasks are. And if I've got a question for them, it also saves a lot of time of, hello, sending an email, I've got a question regarding a blah, blah, blah. And if yeah. not, I said, put a task in, please um, send me that in that document or can you specify this? Um, so it, it cuts down the, the communication, makes it more, makes me more accessible at yeah. the same time. Um, so it's efficient and and it's uh, making making that client relationship more tr trusting in a way. Um, yes, because obviously the, they can yeah. keep track of progress and uh, they can they can see the value that you're uh, sort of producing as 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 you work. Exactly, and that's yeah. a big big point um, where I don't have to argue about my invoices mm. um, because everyone knows. Okay. Like I said, I'm not doing um, hourly rates, so it's mostly flat fees anyway. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, from the get-go, what you expect, what has to be done. These three tasks cost A, B, and C. And if there's a fourth task coming, well, then I will tell you how much that costs. So yeah. that is a very, um, very good way of doing it. And so, like, like the manifest also says, it does prioritize things. It doesn't mean that you don't have processes, you don't have documentation, you don't have a contract. Yeah. Um, but just you talk more about it. Yes, you can take notes. Yes, it will flow into a contract. So, yeah. and the the other big thing, the other big methods in in um, agile is Scrum. Um, so Scrum is a way to originally develop software in small iterations. So the idea behind it is that 
you have at first you've got like a big idea of a software like oh i want a word processing software but you don't know what the individual tasks for the team is yeah. and you break it down until you have a task that's executable that you can do that you can know okay this is going to take me that long that it's well defined and you know what you're doing and then you work on that yeah and the team always decides on okay in this week in this we're going to do these five tasks and then at the end of the week we'll review maybe we change something so it's not like in classical project management just to have the to have the the comparison where you say okay i want i've got a specification i want the software built then it's being built and then it's done and every change in the middle of it costs a lot yeah and yeah. it's and then when you're at the end of it it's very hard to change something because it's all implemented it's all working together yeah. so agile is a way of adapting to changing circumstances which is basically inherently what we're doing if you're in a trial and the other side comes out with a document or if there's a witness that tells a story suddenly differently or um, if you research something for a client and suddenly there's a supreme court decision that messes Changes everything up yeah. so these these are things you have to work with and yes there are cases where it's like i need a clause for a newsletter and then that's the clause send it out that's done you don't need much kanban um and much scrum for it it's will still go my kanban board because it's a task but scrum as a as a method as a system is actually very very well organized and yeah. it's very um well documented it's very well planned through where a lot of attorneys are like oh agile that's just anarchy and everyone's doing whatever uh so it's often used agile is often used for completely not having a plan running around like headless chicken where really it is a very well-defined method of saying okay i'll make sure my tasks are defined once it's defined i'll do it i'll review it if it works we move on to the next one if it doesn't work we'll improve our process we'll improve yeah. the way we're working and so so many things in scrum like having retrospectives where you sit together and talk about how's the working together how's the collaboration doing these things you never do you never talk to your client um unless there's a complaint it's like oh is this is this working for you how do you want your documents um do you want a system where you've got different versions that you can open up or do you want a system where it's like in the file ending i've had that uh, discussion yeah. a couple of times uh, no, so, okay. I, I think you're right. That that sort of reflection uh, is is possibly one of the things that Scrum introduces, which isn't there before. Because I mean, things like flexibility, uh, adapting to to new circumstances, like you were saying with the the court example, uh, transparency. Even Th these are sort of things that uh, lawyers do do already, even not in the most agile ways and and what you do in your book you sort of really systematically um go through the different um sort of practical ways you can implement those which i think is really helpful sort of uh putting together a a, a formula for how to do that rather than just 
um, sort of trying to do that ad hoc w without a sort of systematic theory of practice. Uh, but the reflection uh, and sort of looking back and thinking about the client relationship and, and talking to each other about how, how things might improve, I think that is a new and innovative thing that you're sort of introducing um, as, as an idea for practice. Um, yes. And of course you don't, um, I use it a lot, obviously with my team as well, Yeah. because that's, you know, they also need to know how things are working. And if they think the way I'm assigning tasks is not working for them yeah. or is confusing or they forget something because it doesn't show up where they expect it to show up, then we need to work on this. Yeah. Um, but client facing even more and I, I would also even argue that there are some of us, and I've got that a bit in myself as well, where we're a bit scared of too much transparency because Absolutely. of all the liability yeah. issues behind it. Um, so, it can also just be emotionally bruising, it? It sort of admitting yes. to your mistakes and, and saying, well, I didn't do that um, as well as I could have done. I'll do this in the future. That's, it, it's sort of, uh, you need to be brave. Um, to engage in that sort of conversation, I think. Um, but, I mean, these sorts of methods would be really, uh, really good for uh, managing research projects in, in academia as well. I don't think enough of this sort of thing goes on uh, in, in sort of the, the research projects that I'm involved in sometimes, reflecting on how the team is organising itself and, and seeing if, if things need to be changed and adapted to to keep everything on track, you know? Yes, and obviously you can't implement it precisely in a law firm because in a like in Scrum, you have daily stand-ups in the project yeah. where you meet daily for 10 minutes. That wouldn't make sense. I couldn't... There's not enough time in the day to meet no. with all my clients every day for 10 minutes. Plus, we don't have that much to say to each other. Yeah. In Scrum, there's one team that works on one project usually. Mm. But it would make sense to have either... If you've got a big team in your law firm or in your university department or in your legal department to have a quick 10 minute in the morning over coffee hey what's going on with you guys yeah um, and also the way of doing it to answer three questions what have i done since the last meeting what am i going to do until the next meeting and what do i need to accomplish what i want to do just to go through these three questions, and if it's in the daily, uh, in the weekly, sure fix or something. Keep that in mind. Yeah, Ask your yeah. team. Okay, what have you done? What are you going to do? What do you need? Now, I and think it would be great for homeworkers as well. <laughs> I think um, keeping keeping in touch and maybe just having those little ten minute meetings for people who are working remotely. Uh, I I think would be um, really really positive um, to, to sort of implement in that situation as well. Uh, Absolutely. Just, just a quick question about um, Scrum. So it, it's based on sort of the idea of a rugby Scrum, right? And you've got sort of Scrum Masters and you have these daily Scrums where you sort of stand up meetings and things. Is it sort of a bit of a macho sounding theory coming like te from tech bros and stuff? <laughs> I've yeah. actually got so little knowledge of 
um, rugby that it wasn't until I was researching my master thesis where I ordered magazines that were called Scrum and were rugby yeah. magazines and <laughs> in the in the in the uni library and I hadn't realized there weren't actually magazines about project management. Um, so Lots no, of it, pictures of huge about, men in small shorts and and stuff. You're thinking, yeah, I mean, I've had anyway, here. just just yeah. for scientific reasons, obviously. Um, but no, it's about the huddling together and planning but yeah. no no i don't i don't have a feeling that it's it's very very macho it's um i think there are a lot of nerds a lot of software developers don't know that it's sports term i yeah i would, okay. I would That's dare a fair to comment. bet that <laughs> um but i think it can what i think is nice and you've you've um mentioned the scrum master i think there's a very nice way of organizing the team as well yeah. so you've got the people who do the work, the team team, they take the decisions together, what they're doing, how long it's going to take, they estimate a duration, a cost. Um, and then you've got the Scrum Master, who's really just a, um, a conductor, in ideally. I mean, in a law firm, that doesn't work because yeah. I need to do work as well. I can't just organize other people. But they are just making sure that all the formalities and all the methods are working yeah and then you got a bit like the the product owner which is the link to the outside to the client to the customer to all yeah. the other stakeholders so it it keeps the it keeps the team very protected and that is something that often is lacking um yeah. in, a, in a professional environment So and just going back to your book, um, you talk about uh, Scrum and Caban and even a sort of combination of uh, the two, a sort of Scrum ban. Uh, and you also sort of modify all of those for the, for the legal uh, profession and for legal practice. And one of the things you develop in, in the book is the agile contract yeah. in legal services. Can you tell us a bit? A bit about the the agile contract yes yeah, so i thought okay if i want to work like this with my clients i want to go all the way so i can implement the kanban board easily enough even having an mm -hmm. hourly rate billing system but you know for the for the purpose of research that okay i'm, I'm, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go all in here um and mm. like i said i come from uh, tech companies where agile contracts weren't unknown to me so the way how you can reflect agile in a contract because that's a very very different kind of discussion you've got so many books and resources on how to work agile without ever thinking about the commercial side of it so yeah. yes you can do agile with hourly billing um, but very often clients customers want a price sometimes you have a budget yeah. Uh, a uni, you've got a budget in a in a legal department. Um, you have kind of hours you can spend on a project, or you can't spend. You've got um, values, or like I said, attorneys might even have it easiest in that way, where you can often really still argue the um, the hourly rate. But like I said, I'm not a fan. So I went. And said, okay, we've got this one side where we're organizing ourselves, but how does that co commercially look like? So mm -hmm. one thing of what you do in 
Scrum is you value a task. You usually value that how long it's going to take you and you give it points. So very often you use, you don't use like one, two, three, four, five to 10. You have to be able to estimate how long something's going to take or what the value of something is. And this is how I got into value pricing. So I said, okay, I've got this one little task and I don't want to say, okay, I'll just put a price tag on it, but more like what's it, what's the value to it for my client? Um, In software development, you really do it by time. So uh, a task with three points might take you three hours or three days. So you really, really talk about your time. But I want to go that step further and be more efficient and say, no, we talk about the value. And if you then put an arbitrary number on a task where you talk about, is it worth it? How much is it worth in relation to, okay, that contract was maybe worth 20 points a clause is maybe worth just one point or two points yeah um so you get a relation to it without always just thinking about the money so that was one uh thing that i started to get into and think a lot about the value of legal tasks and like you correctly said you can communicate it so much better and on the other hand um i went then to say how does the commercial system of paying for these points look like so i've started with Uh, packages when you buy more points it gets cheaper um or yeah but now i've moved on a more like a sliding scale like the first 10 points are the most expensive the next 10 are cheaper but this is a system that i've agreed with my clients in the beginning and then whilst we're working we're just talking about how much points a task is worth and depending on how much they've already ordered done this year it'll be cheaper or more expensive. But you get away from this this hard money issue. And there's an um, excellent book uh, from, from Boris Gloger, who's um, an Austrian Agile coach and stuff. In, in German, it's called the Agile Fixed Price. I think in English, the title's yeah. a bit different. Um, but it takes this, can I have an Agile project with a fixed price? And... It's kind of it is an interesting question because uh, I mean a lot of lawyers who use uh, sort of hourly billing contracts, um, hourly rates would say that that is a really flexible way of working, right? And a fixed contract is potentially less flexible because if something comes along, yes, um, where you need to extend the amount of uh, time and effort needed to go into the the, the tasks or the project. Um, it's more difficult to then modify the fixed, the fixed uh, rate contract, right? Yes, but the but in the book you you develop these these ways of incorporating flexibility well, into the contract. Well, that was right? already in the in the in, in the other book. the The idea is, or I think the the logical fallacy behind it is that the fixed price doesn't need to be over the whole project right away. So maybe a client has a exactly. budget, and then you start working, and you kind of have a feeling on what works in that budget and if a client to me says it says oh i want terms and conditions for 50 euros and be like yeah no <laughs> i mean there are extremes obviously. <laughs> um, and you can also work within a budget but i'd rather know okay this is a 10,000 euro budget 5,000 euro budget and we work much more closer 
we work closer together then I'm sending you a contract and a 5,000 euro invoice and then like oh I need those three changes and then I need to bill you extra so the easiest way to do this is to say okay we make little bits you make you break up the project in phases you break up the projects in tasks and then you are close enough to each other you're close enough to talking with each other to say okay we can change this we can't change this this is not going to work so the way i did it when i wrote the contracts for the it projects they were often especially public in public procurement where the customer had um, a fixed budget because that's their money for this year Um, and then say okay we'll start off with a bit we do this and this and this and then we take a part of that budget and start working and we do the implementation and the idea is that at the end of every iteration at the end of every sprint you've got something so if an outcome exactly so in my example if i spent the whole contract five thousand euros they get the contract and then things to be changed then we have to argue again. Then you're going to be discussions. How much more does it need? Or even in an hourly rate, a client might be like, why the heck does that cost 5,000 euros? And then I need three more changes. Maybe I'll leave them. But if they get yeah. a contract with four or five clauses missing because there are still questions open, and then they might see, oh yeah, but in the other clause, I meant, I'm, I was thinking about that differently and that might be a little change and it might not matter. And then you say, yeah, but do you want this or that? But if you want both, then we might, that might ruin the budget. So this is yeah. exactly the point where you can early on course correct. So you don't blow the budget yeah. or you yeah. don't get to a point where the client is uncomfortable with your invoice when it's about hourly rating, uh, hourly, um, hourly billing. And, and, and that's what helped me, helped me a lot. So fixed yeah. price, yes, but you work from phase to phase. Keeping a big budget in mind, maybe keeping an overall money in mind, but you just say, okay, yeah. we've got the first phase. And if at that point we realize it's not working, that we actually, that's not the contract we need. A client comes to you and says, I want... I don't know, a purchasing agreement. And then you realize, no, it's actually a rental agreement he needs. Um, where in the first case, I would have just written it, built him the 5,000 euros, and then went on with my day and they'd be unhappy. Whereas I was like, yeah, so, and you know, how often do you want the payment? Do you want installments? And then in talking, in the first phase of setting up the contract, where you get paid maybe 1,000 euros, you realize, yeah, that's not actually what they need. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you adapt the the contract and the the story points and and yes. things to so to and there that there are methods on. where you can where you can exchange um, a task with something of the same value where you do something for free. So there are little tools that you mm. can that you can use. But an agile contract is primarily about how to organize yourselves, how to communicate, yeah. how to deal with changes. Because this is when you talk about this early on, you don't fight over an invoice, how to deal with changes, how to maybe even an escalation procedure, if there's something, a bigger um, company behind it. And then the price per story point, the price per whatever is then the easier bit. If you know 
yeah. how to deal with when changes come and how to agree on the value of a task. And this is really um, this is really the crucial thing because for the first time in a contract you don't talk about the legal things. You talk mainly about practical things and that makes, makes it really, really interesting for, for lawyers as well. Well, I'm I'm very much looking forward to um, some more English language versions of the podcast. Okay. I'll def I've I've uh, subscribed on Spotify, excellent, so I'll excellent. get a notification next time there's one out. Um, and the the Agile Lawyer, uh, your book, is there going to be a sequel to that? Are you doing any more research or anything? Yes, so I'm actually part of the uh, Liquid Legal Institute, which is a German nonprofit club for fun ideas and innovative ideas i can really strongly strongly recommend it and sometimes uh, members get together on projects there are projects on in-house kpis there are projects on contract um tags and so really really cool things and i got together with with a couple of them and we're actually doing a workbook um on Agile working in law firms, which is supposed to be come out, uh, was supposed to come out like May Juneish this year. Um, so really something where, if my book is too theoretical, you've got something you can really take in your hand, fill out, color in, and get going. <laughs> Sounds brilliant. Well, definitely um, link us in, and we'll we'll send it out to the the Scotland members because I'm sure a lot of um, a lot of people will find, yes, it will find be in English what you're well. doing really <laughs> interesting and yeah <laughs> that would be about us <laughs> well brilliant uh thank you so much for uh being our first guest thank you so much uh, for I having think me it's place. been a really it was a pleasure absolute pleasure um and it's really good to have an experienced podcaster as the, the first guest as well because you've been able to give us some some tips and hints on how to i think backseat podcasting is what you're what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah we really appreciate it <laughs> so thanks for tuning in today if you had a good time you know the drill like subscribe and share the podcast with your friends today's focus was on agile methods in law and we had the pleasure of welcoming our esteemed guest katharina bizet a barrister and the brilliant mind behind the nerds of law podcast here at the Scotland Pod, we hope to become a platform for dialogue and deep dives into the minds of our members. So if you have an exciting topic you want to share with us, please do get in touch. So for now it's goodbye, but we'll hopefully catch you in the next episode, which will be in April. Until then, take care. <laughs>